this episode brings one word to mind, assimilation, or assimilation in disguise, or in denial of survival mode. The behaviors we exhibit when survival is the desired outcome. How many times have we misinterpreted an action or overreaction, or even an outburst as someone's personality flaw, when in fact it's their means of protecting themselves or their peace or mental health? I don't think it's fair for any of us to judge a person on what they've done or said in an effort to assimilate in the name of survival, in the name of protecting what little piece of their true self still exists. In the world I'm from, I've seen survival mode become someone's entire personality, and I've watched people lose their true selves. I've seen them battle to the edge of breaking, ultimately to lose that battle. And to this day, I don't know that we ever got them back. Tell someone if you're losing this battle. Don't allow yourself to be consumed by survival mode. My name is Jason Farias, and this is my madness method. Well, we're back at Harbor Island. Home sweet home, huh? This time, at least, we're not back in the same apartment number. This time, we are on the west side of the property. And this one's a little more secluded, which, I mean, depending on how you interpret the rest of the story, is either a good or a bad thing. So the new apartment we're in is in the westmost building. And there's a breezeway between our apartment on the right side and the next. So I only had one connecting apartment right next to us was the breezeway to the parking lot and sort of catty corner from out our front door, even catty corner from the breezeway itself sort of centered between the two was the elevator going to the levels above us. It was almost like we had a little protection from the wind, from prying eyes, but still, you know, as I had said previously, like on a, on a beautiful day, which is most in Vegas, Cindy and I would have the door open and we'd just be chilling and music on or, you know, whatever it was, hanging out. Joey and Ryan and I were, were doing quite well for ourselves. Uh, anytime something sizable was needed for the the strip club, Joey would come pick me up. I mean, I didn't have a car. He had a car. It's just... It was convenient that way. You know, if it was something small, he'd come get it himself. Um, but anything over a quarter ounce or so, he'd come bring me over there because he figured, oh, hey, while we're there, you could probably sell off some other shit. Interestingly, and I, I, I don't know, every time I got in the car with Joey to go anywhere, it didn't matter if we were going to the strip club to sell some dope or just going to get something to eat. Every time I got in the car with him, the song Locked Up by Akon would come on. And it took three, four times of this happening before he looked at me. He goes, bro, what the fuck? Is, is this a sign? And I was like, nah, man, it's just a good song. Let's keep it rolling. Every single time it happened. Having spent so much time at the strip club, or at least at the, the adult store connected to the strip club, I think something that doesn't get talked about a lot with addiction is how one addiction will lend to another. And, and I got to be perfectly honest, having access to that much 
pornography and that many sex toys and so on. If Cindy and I didn't have the door open, there was only one thing that was going on. And it started looking back now at the time, it was fantastic. But but looking back, it started to build a very unhealthy relationship relating to sex in, in any relationship, right? Because now it's drug-fueled sex and sex-fueled drug use. And they were just like fucking hand in hand. But regardless, that's what life was at that time. And I tell you, it's interesting because we set this set out, right? And 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 it's business as usual. We're back to the old shit. But this one's more fun. Like Vegas has a different vibe and a different energy. And, and you know, the people that now we're around are much more exciting than our country town problems that we used to have. And this one just had a different vibe to it. You know, Joey showed up one day. And he had a girl with him, which was unusual. He usually came by himself or Ryan would be with him. But today he shows up with this girl. Her name's Robin. And Robin is dressed down, but he introduces her. And he was like, I think this would be a good business proposition for you. And so we start talking and Robin is a call girl. Now, Robin's friends with some of the girls that live in, matter of fact, the same building I was in, they actually lived upstairs and a few doors over. I had not met those girls yet, uh, yet, but Robin was not like your immediate knee-jerk reaction to what a call girl looks like, right? She was high-end. She was like $1,000 an hour. She dressed in business suits. She was really pretty, tall girl, dark hair. She was probably, I don't know, 5'9", 5'10", beautiful body, not not one of these hood rat fucking stripper style, like crackhead hookers. Like that wasn't the case at all. So now she clearly and obviously would have a bunch of friends in the industry, right? They all kind of look out for each other. So by serving her drugs, she's then serving her friends drugs, or for that matter, any of her Johns that want to get fucked up, she's she's equipped there as well. So now I'm serving the strippers at the strip club, some call girls, and everything's fantastic. The girls are really nice. They were really nice to Cindy. They all, like it, When they came to my house, now let me take a step back. Robin had actually introduced us uh, after a couple of visits. She went up and got her friends that lived upstairs and a few doors down and brought them over. And, you know, they would come over in their sweats and their hair pulled up and they would come hang out. You know, we'd all get high and they would tell us stories about their Johns from the night before or whatever tips they made at the strip club, you know, and we were just like, Cindy and I were sitting there listening to the stories like, whoa, you know, because this is not the world we were from. So we were just like absolutely fascinated by the stories they were telling. The, the, the girls would come in and be like, oh man, this guy last night gave me the, the best head I've ever had. And we're like, that's fucking strange, man. Like this is a weird story to hear, but these were the people I was now surrounded by, you know, like the only males that hung out were Joey and Ryan. Other than that, it was strippers and call girls. And and the stripper and call girl stories, but it's interesting because that's not how we saw them. Again, they didn't show up in stripper clothes or fucking hooker clothes or anything like that. They came over in sweats and their hair pulled up and they'd just come down and hang out and we'd all have a good time. And, you know, they didn't work during the day, so we all had all day to hang out. And that's what life was for us, just hanging out with our quote unquote new friends and their obscure jobs. 
And I, I realized that there was one one piece that I was missing here, right? So I'm I'm back in sales, and I, and I've I've got some friends around me, and I've got a good amount of sales going on here. But I didn't have a connection at a head shop where I would get my baggies and my pipes and all that stuff. And and so I had asked Joey, like, hey, do you know anybody that that runs one? Because going to the, you're stopping at these random spots isn't really how I work, right? Like I, I just like I had in California, I want one dude that looks after me and that I just go to constantly and. Of course, Joey did know a guy that ran a head shop, so so he took me to the one. I mean, we had been to plenty, and he kind of knew everybody everywhere we went, right? But there was one that he was really close with, so he took me to that guy. And we go into this head shop, and I kind of explain, dude, like what my expectations are. Like, you know, the baggies I pick up, I want all of them. I don't want anybody else with baggies, with whatever picture it is that, that's on the baggies. I want all of them. And I said, I, I need, you know, three-foot Pyrex tubing. I want to be able to pick up my map gas here, and map gas is is the gas that you use to melt the Pyrex to make pipes. And he agreed that he could do all that. You know, it cost me a little extra because he would go to Home Depot or whatever, wherever it is. And you, you got to remember, I don't have a car, so I'm sort of limited on my travel abilities. So I really kind of needed a one-stop shop. And, you know, I dropped the guy a little coin just to kind of get the ball rolling, I don't know. I might have dropped him three, four, five hundred bucks. Just hey, you know, here's in good faith, and that way I knew I could go there, get my bags, get my Pyrex tubes, get my map gas. I could just get everything I needed and go back home and not be like, oh, hey, person, you need to take me to an extra place. Even if it was, even if it was Joey, knowing that he's kind of the biggest beneficiary to this whole process, I, I still felt bad. Like, oh, we got to stop here, here, and here. And so we got that one set up, it, but we did make one other stop that first day. And, and it's stemming from a conversation that uh, Cindy and I were having with Robin. We were jokingly, you can make a bong out of anything. I had previously smoked meth through a bong, but I thought, you know what? I joke that I can make a bong out of anything. I think I'm right. And so I had Joey take me to Home Depot and we grabbed a Dremel kit and uh, diamond tip bits and off we went. I had this vase. Shit, you guys, you, it might have even been like a decor, you know, in the setup of the weekly that we're renting. <laughs> but anyway, while we were at Home Depot, I grabbed the Dremel, the diamond tip, and some tubing. And I had realized once we got back, you know, I had, I had carefully cut a hole in this glass vase. And, uh, and I put the tubing in and I was like, fuck, you know, it's not sealed. It's not going to get the right air restriction to get a good pull. So back off to the head shop, we went, you know, here I am saying I need a one-stop shop so I don't get somebody to drive me all around. But now Joey's taking me back because I needed to get grommets. And just the grommet is to create a seal in the holes that I cut. So I bought a, a whole bag of grommets. I must have bought, shit, 10 feet of tubing, which is, oh, you would figure would be a lifetime supply for bong making, right? But uh, it was not. <laughs> because once I figured out the process, the proper process of cutting a hole in any random piece of glass. You know, I started doing it out of alcohol bottles, different vases. You know, if it was glass and could hold water, I would figure out a way to turn it into a bong. And that's what we started smoking our meth out of. We would fill these bongs with Gatorade or Powerade or Kool-Aid, or we would put water with Jolly Ranchers in it and it would flavor it. 
I don't know if you've ever smoked weed and then you smoke it out of, you know, a pipe or a joint and then you move to a bong and the difference in that, well, imagine that exact same thing, except for now you're smoking meth through a bong and it's flavored and, you know, you could drop ice in it so now it's cold and, you know, it was bad enough that my smoking abilities of this stuff had gotten so... I don't want to make this sound positive, but it got so profound. How about that? You know, when I would smoke meth from a pipe, I was going through like $20 worth every hit. I, I, I would never burn it. I knew that there was a certain way to smoke it that you didn't burn the dope in it and it would it would smoke efficiently. And I would blow these clouds and I would blow them slowly on the tables and it would just sit there, a giant cloud on a table. $20 per hit. And now I'm hitting it through a bong. I'm t- I'm probably clearing $30 hits. It was intense. So, we're rolling again, right? We're rolling, but we've elevated. Now we're bong smoking. Bong smoking meth. Oof. Everybody was on board. Robin loved it. The girls upstairs loved it. You know, uh, they certainly couldn't do that while they were out on the strip or stripping, you know, whatever it was they were doing, they couldn't do it that way. You know, when they were working, quote unquote, they would have to snort it um, for the most part. So when they got with me, boy, we got fucking on one. It really couldn't have happened at a better time. I don't know. Is that the right? So Robin comes in one day and her old man, I swear to God, her old man is with her. Now, she introduces me to this guy, and he's a real douchey kind of dude named Zach. Fucking Zach. I'm sorry if your name's Zach, but I'm going to talk a little shit. Zach. He was probably five, seven, five, eight. She was taller than him, especially in heels. And he was like this goofy-ass fucking white boy with a country accent. And this is really kind of where I learned. Now, mind you, I had been hanging out with Robin and her friend Cindy and I had for a few weeks now. And her past never came up. I don't even know that ours did. We just kind of like started hanging out. And and it wasn't until I met Robin's old man that I was like, yeah, so what, where are you guys from? And he was, oh, we're from Georgia. He used to sell bootleg DVDs and shit out of the trunk of his car. And he got in trouble. He got arrested for it. So they left there. Now, when they were in Georgia... You see the the story, oh, we left Georgia because I got arrested for bootlegging videos. No, 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 man. So this little scumbag motherfucker convinced this beautiful girl, Robin, to start hooking while they were out in Georgia. And he started telling me stories that, you know, he knew when, you know, the field workers got paid. So he would set her up in a hotel and just have them lined up outside, you know, taking turns on this girl. And Knowing what I knew of Robin, and I just mean by her personality, right? Like, she seemed like a very strong-willed girl. So how the fuck he convinced this chick to not only stay with his dopey ass, because he was, like, pale white guy, light brown hair, fucking thin. Like, he had nothing intimidating about him. But yet this girl just caved under his will. I'm not going to lie. I kind of judged his ass. Like, how are you going to do that to your girlfriend? So anyway, the real reason they left Georgia 
was because they knew there was more money for her in Vegas. It had nothing to do. Like he, I, he tried to present it and package it. Like he wasn't the world's worst scumbag. You know what I mean? Like he came out here to put her to work. I mean, I think he tried to like be her pimp or that's uh, such a strange thing. Like what a, what a bizarre story. Like I'm looking at this girl and she's in business suits and she's a thousand dollar a night hooker, but she's got this dipshit that she's bringing her money back to. I only ran into this guy a few times. The night I met him, we all got high. I sold him some shit. He was kind of trying to tell me that, you know, I'll pick up the dope for her. And I was like, bro, you're not telling me nothing. You know, let's be real clear. Again, there was nothing intimidating about this guy. So when he was like, I'll pick up her dope and I'll, I'll moderate it for her. I'm like, bro, you ain't telling me how to do a fucking thing. Mind your fucking business. He eventually comes back one night. And he's not with Robin. She's working. He comes back. He knocks on my door and he's got, he's like, yo, I want to show you something. I was like, cool, let's go. And we, we leave out my door and it's like a, you go out my door and it's immediate hard right down the breezeway to the parking lot. And he's got his van. Now <laughs> this fucking van was such a piece of shit. Dude. As soon as I saw the van, I was like, nah, that tracks. It's like old, like Dodge caravan style, but all fucking beat up and, Knowing what she's making, where the fuck's your money going, bro? Well, he opens the back and there's there's a cage in the van and he's got these, when I tell you, beautiful fucking pit bulls. One of them looked black, but he was like, check this out. And he, he pulls the one out and he was like, oh, don't get near them. They're super mean. They're super mean. And, and fucking, I, th I think, I think he was trying to use his dogs to intimidate me because I don't know what else he brought to the table. But his dog like sniffed my hand and was super cool with me. And they f would be in the truck fighting each other in the van, excuse me. But he pulled the one out that looked all black and he pulls out his flashlight and he runs his hand up the dog's back with the light on it. And the, the hair was red. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? Like it would, these dogs were massive. Like both of my hands on the top of their head didn't clear the spread of these dogs' heads. They were beautiful and massive. And I think his intent, I don't know, maybe his intent was just to show off his dogs because they were beautiful, but I don't think that was the point. But anyway, he had shown up, showed his dogs, and when the meanest of them, according to him, was very nice to me, I, I think that either backfired or he was over the situation and he put the dogs back and he had let me know. He's like, let's go inside. I got something to talk to you about. I was like, let's go, bro. And we go in the house and he tells me, hey, so... I need some shit because there's a porn being filmed at, I think it was Treasure Island. Anyway, he's like, there's a porn being filmed. And I, they asked me if I could uh, supply any dope. And I didn't even ask, like, how did you get tied up with anybody doing a porn shoot? But I was like, yeah, I can supply whatever you need, dude. And then he was like, yeah, I need a couple ounces. I was like, I'm not handing you over a couple ounces. And so I was like, hey, Cindy, you want to go on a porn set? And she was like, fuck it, let's go. Again, there was a, a sex addiction kicking in for both of us at this point. And, uh, you know, how exciting is that, right? Now we get to go on a porn set. And so the following night, Zach comes by, different car this time, thank God, and fucking stanking ass dog van. And we go over to the hotel and up into the hotel we go and, and we knock and there's, you know, a couple bouncers at the door and it's a big ass suite. 
And we go in, and when I tell you, it was like moths to a flame. Like, as soon as they saw him, they knew what was here, and it was right over. And everybody wanted to get, everybody wanted to get high. So here I am, Cindy and I on a porn set, a bunch of naked people everywhere, and we're all just sitting around getting high. And then, as meth will do, you lose track of time and space, right? And you're just kind of in the moment. I'm not going to lie to you guys. Like, I recognize some of these girls. And I was, like, sort of, like, fanning out. You know, oh, it's her and it's her. Like, I'm not going to tell you who was there because I, I, can't, I can't do that. But if you've ever watched porn, you probably know who they are. Next thing you know, we're, we're sitting around. We're on couches or wherever. And we're getting high and getting high and getting high. And mind you, I had brought a couple of ounces. But then I brought some just to fucking burn away. Because, again, that was my MO. Just get everybody high and then sell whatever. Next thing you know, you hear moaning and screaming. We're like, oh, shit. That's right. We're on a fucking porn set. And everybody sort of, oh, yeah, fucking. Even the, peop- the other performers that were in the room that were sitting there getting high with us were like, oh, yeah, we're supposed to be working. And fucking off they go. And, you know, the cameras are running. And it's hot because of lights and shit. And, you know, there was none of these LED rings happening back at this time. It, there were hot lights around the room. It smelled funny, as it will. <laughs> but the producer even asked you know, Cindy and I, if we wanted to perform, we were like, hell nah, dude. <laughs> that is not why we are here. Oh man. It, uh, it had dawned on me. Like we, we were there all night partying, talking, having a good time. Again, when you get past the insanity of the atmosphere, everybody was really nice. Normal, normal people, like, I don't know what kind of vision you picture in your head of what's going on on a porn set, but some of it is very much happening. And others of it is just a bunch of normal people like they're at work. Just fucking bizarre. We had a great time for fucking up and coming sex addicts. It was fantastic. But it never dawned on me. Hey, Zach. You know what? Actually, let me let me take a step back. Where the fuck did Zach go after we all started sitting around getting high? Because I'm going to tell you, it was at this point I lost track of that dude. But it never dawned on me. Like, how did this guy get set up with this? But yet, Robin never brought it to me. And she wasn't there. So what the fuck is it that this guy's doing? Because he's no pimp. So it's not like he's out there with the clout. So I was left with this conundrum, like, do I mention it to Robin? Like, I, she's my friend, uh, colleague, I don't know. She, but anyway, I've known her longer. Do I tell her that this happened? Or does she know? It was an interesting conundrum I found myself in. But full disclosure, Cindy and I, we just kept our mouth shut. I don't really want any part of this as far as between their relationship. I mean, I I don't know what real kind of scumbag this dude was. You know, I ultimately found out because a few weeks later, you know, we're sitting and it was just Cindy and I, and I think one of the girls from upstairs and she'd actually come down. (laughs) So this, these were two white girls, fit white girls. Okay. And, and one of them had learned how to do this leg shaking thing that made her ass then jiggle. She'd be on like laying on her side with her leg in the air and would shake her leg and make her ass jiggle. And now she was a stripper, so she was super proud of herself. And so she came down to our apartment to show Cindy and I like like she learned to ride a bike. Like, hey, look. And <laughs> that's that was my life. <laughs> so anyway, 
we're all hanging out and Robin shows up and she's got a fat lip and a fucking black eye. This is when she had explained to me that the previous night when she came home and she had dope in her bag, he knew, Zach knew, that she had come to see me. And he was pissed and he beat her ass for coming to me for dope and not not letting him because see here's the thing like he would give her like this tiny amount to get her through the night now this girl's selling her body which i'm i'm learning is against her will but for some reason she keeps doing it and she's needing to self-medicate just to get this done she's needing to get through a whole night quote-unquote shift and he's like giving her these small amounts and here's the thing dude their relationship issues are not my fucking problem dude i'm i i knew her right and then i know that there's where you never sell to a dude's girl and and so on okay i didn't know that dude until after the fact and now he's putting hands on somebody like i'm i'm not about hitting women you don't fucking hit women dude so now i feel some type of way about zach i kept robin in my house that night and i asked her what she usually makes in a night and i gave her that money And I had her just stay with us and relax and heal and sleep if she needed. But she stayed safe that night. The next day, I text Zach. And I tell you, I couldn't have scripted this better. I text Zach and I tell him to come through. And he does. He does. I mean, he has no idea that I feel some type of way about anything. But he comes over, he knocks on the door, and he goes to come in the house. And... I step in front of him like, nah, let's step outside. And so we back up and I'm like, yo, bro, did you see that somebody beat Robin up? And he was like, yeah, I saw that. I said, what the fuck are you going to do about it? And he's like, oh, well, that's just, you know, you know, hazard of the trade. And I said, uh, do you need me to do something about it? And I looked at him dead in the eyes and I told him, I said, because if, you want me to handle the motherfucker that put hands on her? I'll do it right now. And I was looking at him dead in the eyes. And if that motherfucker didn't know that I knew what the fuck happened, he's a stupid son of a bitch. And he just stood there quiet. And I, 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 what felt like an hour of staring at him in the eyes, I didn't fucking blink. And it might have been just because how high I was, but it, it certainly came across as very stern. And I got my point across. And right then, right then, this person walks up to me. And it's this girl. And I recognize her from wandering around Harbor Island, her and her, and her boyfriend. And she comes up to me. She's like, Jay? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I got I got $14. I'd, I'd like to get some. And I was like, what? Fuck are you going to do with $14? And we're near the elevator by my house. Now, if you go out my door, you kind of got to step like left-ish. You got to go left around the elevator area. And then it sort of opens up to like a... A common area there was like a little fountain spot and so we were on the other side of the elevator from my front door and this girl comes up to me talking about i got 14 dollars, and i was like fuck you gonna do a 14 bitch get the fuck out of here fucking know you dude and i i look kind of beyond her on the other side of the fountain and there's her old man and i was like this motherfucker sent his bitch over with with less than it takes to buy drugs to try to buy drugs and I'm 
I had just broken eye contact with Zach having his, you know, our conversation. And I walk over to this dude. And when I tell you, I say, you sent your bitch over with 14 fucking dollars, bro. I say, you don't even fucking know me. What, what the fuck are you trying to get done here? And I slapped the fuck out of this guy. I slapped him with fucking everything I had. I didn't punch him because I wanted him to be embarrassed. I I open hand bitch slapped the fuck out of this dude. Don't ever fucking send your girl to fucking do your job. And motherfucker, if you can't pay for your addiction, quit. And then I calmly walked back over to Zach and I was like, so what are we doing about this guy that beat up your girl? And he was like, Not, nothing, nothing. Nothing. I'll make sure next time it uh, it gets taken care of. I was like, yeah, I uh, I strongly recommend that you prevent this from ever fucking happening again. This is not Jason behavior, okay? For that matter, you guys, this isn't even J behavior. You know, the J behavior is building the bongs and getting everybody high and have a good time. This Hefe behavior is violent out of fucking nowhere. Because I tell you, if Zach would have told me that he was the one that fucked her up, I'd have beat that dude senseless. But because he didn't want to admit it, I knew he was a little bitch, and I needed him to understand who the fuck I was here. And conveniently, or inconveniently, I was presented with an opportunity at the exact right time to show him that I do not fuck around. There were some other people even around the area that saw what I did. So now I've established myself very quickly as not only the guy with the loud music and the hot chick and the girls that fucking hang out at his place and the guy, maybe maybe they knew I had the dope. I don't really know, but I very quickly established that I do not fuck around. You do not hit women. You do not send your girl to fucking come buy dope from me. I don't even, again, I don't even know these, like, I, we met in passing. We, I, I couldn't even tell you what that dude's name was, nor that girl. But I knew that that dude didn't have the money, and they were in a bad way. So here's the thing, partner. You got to learn the lesson here. Don't ever send your girl fucking, especially shorthanded. I might have still slapped the fuck out of him, if, even if she had 20 on her. Oof, man, I, I, uh, I didn't mean for things to go this way. Vegas was fun. Vegas was a good time. The whole vibe. I mean, come on, man. I got, I was, I, you know, everybody I was hanging around was fucking strippers and call girls. And we were on set at a porn shoot and we were like experiencing the full Vegas vibe, right? Like everything about Vegas was just at my foot. And now in one fell swoop, and I'm talking in a five minute period, I had to establish myself. And, and it's, I had to establish myself in a way that is not comfortable for me. But I also know in the Vegas way, you cannot be soft. You, you remember, I, I, I worked at that oxygen bar and that one, that, that old timer told me this, this city will eat you up and spit you out. And I said, nah, not me. Well, that includes this too. You ain't eating me up. At least I'm going to try to keep it from happening. I didn't want it to be like this, but there's always that in the back of my mind. One, I have to protect Cindy. And two, you don't hit women. And three, you don't come short for a drug deal. If you're short, fucking bad things happen. Those are lessons I've learned. Those are rules that exist. So those are the rules that are followed.
I'm glad you guys are listening. This story, I'll be honest, is uh, it gets tough to tell. This story is almost like talking about a completely different life, and it really was, but some of these stories are going to be tough to tell. But I appreciate you listening. If you want to reach out, mymadnessmethod819 at Gmail, mymadnessmethod on Instagram, please reach out. There's also 819product.com. That's the word eight, numbers one nine, wordproduct.com. You can see other podcasts I'm on or will be on and other things I'm working on. So until the next time, my name is Jason Farias, and this is my madness method.